This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. And um, today we're going to be talking about pangs and also the Angel episode, I Will Remember You. I have a sneaking suspicion that I'm going to talk more about the Angel episode than I am about the Buffy episode. Um, First of all, it is again, you know, a Saturday night, of course, because that's the day that this shit falls on. (laughs) I really wish it was like any day other than Saturday because you guys, the way that my life is working out now, and I know I'm always like complaining about this, but I work almost every Saturday, which means, you know, I get off of work, I eat dinner, hang out, and I have enough time to completely forget that I'm supposed to record an Angel or a Buffy podcast. And I was, um, we, like today, came home, ate dinner, hung around for a little while, took the dogs for a walk, and as I'm on the walk with the dogs, I'm like, fuck. So it is now, again, I'm starting at 1030 at night and, you know, this whole thing takes forever. So it's going to be like 2 a.m. before I go to bed tonight. So whatever, let's get going. Let's stop screwing around. I just had like, I had to have have my Michael do surgery on my scalp just now. Not really surgery, but I had like, somehow I had like ingrown hairs on my scalp. Has, it, has that happened to you guys ever? <laughs> it was like, I, and it felt like I woke up like yesterday morning and it felt like my hair was being pulled. You know, it felt like, you know, like a hair was caught or something and I couldn't f- figure out what it was. And then <laughs> I had him like look at it under like a magnifying glass today and ingrown hair on my scalp. <laughs> I have a million hairs on my scalp. Like, shouldn't scalps know not to do that? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Okay, so I've got another, it's another um, episode by Candlelight. Let me see if I can, I have my desk light on. I'm going to turn it off and see. Yeah, I think it's enough light. I also have my computer on, so okay. Yeah, I think it's enough light. So how are you guys? Um, first of all, I want to start the, before we get started talking about the episode, I want to read, I got an awesome email from one of you guys, Cheryl, and I took a screenshot of the email you sent me. Now I just need to find it. Okay. Here we go. Okay. So, um, like I try to mention every once in a while, I know I don't say it that often, but I would, I always welcome hearing your feedback, um, your perspectives on the Buffy episodes, whether or not you agree or disagree with the shit that I babble about. 
and it's it, I so appreciate getting feedback from you guys so I just wanted to um, and until you know if I ever start getting like a shit ton of feedback I won't be able to read every single email but right now I get feedback seldom enough that like if you send me something it's gonna get read it's gonna get read on the podcast so this is um, for my wonderful listener Cheryl thank you again she sent me um, feedback before so I'm gonna read you her email in um, response to the last few episodes Hi there, just getting caught up on season four and wanted to share some thoughts on the story so far. I agree that the Willow Oz storyline felt rushed, but to be honest, I would not have wanted to watch the slow deterioration of their relationship. That's a good point, honestly. Um, It really, that's true. That's true. I also like the Veruca character, so yay! Somebody agrees with me that Veruca is not the worst. I thought the actress portrayed the animalistic aspect of Veruca well. Me too, Cheryl. I think the scene with Willow, Oz, and Ruka was purposely short to show how the tension amongst the characters was so intense that there was no place for polite conversation. Again, good point. Like, very astute observations that, like, I just didn't even see. Sorry, I don't agree with you that what Willow did was worse than what Oz did. I agree that what Willow did wasn't good but I can understand that after years of wishing she was with Sander, once the opportunity was there, she gave in to the impulse. I also think there's a difference between a high school fling at the kissing level and college-age sexual encounters. Although there is only one year apart, I think we're supposed to see a difference between a teen thing and an adult thing. My opinion, but I can also see what you mean. So my response to that is I... I do see that that is what they were trying to portray, and I also acknowledge that that is probably, I assume that's probably the more popular opinion on the issue, that, you know, sex between Oz and Veruca is a bigger deal to most people than, you know, a little bit of making out between Xander and Willow. But in my mind, just the fact that they were super close friends. They both cheated on their people and lied about it for weeks. I guess for me, it seems bigger that what that Xander and Willow are closer. There's more of an emotional connection um, between the two of them than Oz had with Veruca. And also the connection between them and they were lying about it for a really long time. Oz was only able to lie for like 24 hours, not even that, before it was out. And I think for me, I just put myself in that place and I think that I would have been more hurt by like two people that were very close and have known each other way longer. Like if I were Oz in that situation, and Willow had cheated on me with Xander. I would have been very upset because it's like, oh, this is your best friend. You've always loved him. <laughs> you know, how can I compete with that? Um, and you lied to me about it for weeks. I would be more hurt by that. I would be probably thinking less about like what they actually did together and more about the, um, the emotional, psychological connection. Um, but I can understand, you know, um, 
that I'm the way that I'm viewing that is probably not the way that most people would view it. Um, back to her email. Harkening back to episode one, you commented that you thought Buffy only started to fight well when she had an audience of her friends. I agree that Buffy often does her best fighting when her friends are around, but since you mentioned you looked away at one point, you may have missed part of the action. You may not have seen Sunday picking up Buffy's protector award from the prom and making some snarky comment. I think that was supposed to be the motivation for her to start kicking ass. Yeah, you're right, Cheryl. I I remember seeing that happen but I guess I just forgot about it when I was babbling, <laughs> which I have the brain of a freaking goldfish. So yes. Um, but thank you for pointing that out. Um, still very much enjoying your commentary and very excited for what I see feel are some of the best episodes of Buffy. Hush, three exclamation points. Yeah, I'm really excited about Hush too. Like I'm excited and nervous. Like, like, am I going to be able to do it justice? Man, I'm going to look ahead now on my calendar. Do I work on that day? Damn it. Yes. Fuck. I work a full eight hour, nine hour shift that day. That sucks. I might have to cheat during hush week. That is one, two, three weeks from now. Um, I might have to cheat and like record it a day early or something just so I'm fresh for you guys because doing these like late night recordings I feel sometimes is not like my best work. Um, anyway, uh, back to the email. <laughs> Keep up the stream of consciousness rambling. <laughs> Since I just took a little stream of consciousness rambling during reading your email, Cheryl. Um, Thank you for saying that. It's one of the things I enjoy about listening to the podcast. Sorry for the too long email, but thanks for your efforts. Cheryl, that was not a fucking too long email. That was amazing. Thank you so much. It is... You guys don't even know how incredibly validating it is to be a person in my brain where I just like literally can't think beyond the exact moment that's happening right now and the way that my stream of consciousness thing works. It's, it's not a choice for me to do it this way. There's literally no other way that I could do it. And it's something that I worry about a lot that I don't have really intelligent, composed thoughts. Um, I can really only talk about things as I'm working them out because once I've worked them out, I'm silent. You know, I don't, once I've worked something out and figured something out, I don't really talk about it anymore. So the whole stream of consciousness thing is something that I just have to do. Um, and I worry a lot that I don't sound intelligent or that I talk too long. And, and I'm, and I know that this podcast is not for everybody, but for those of you that listen, it is incredibly meaningful to me. It's you, you guys have no idea. It's so validating to just do the thing that I do and have people listen and respond. So thank you so much, Cheryl. Like literally you give me life. Um, I'm pretty sure that her two emails are the only two emails of feedback. I've gotten feedback before from people that I, I know in my daily life that listen to this podcast. They'll talk to me like in person or via text or something. But from like one of you guys that I don't know personally, getting an email from you, I think Cheryl's the only one. So um, I, I am so happy I know it's it, it's a lot of effort to send an email these days to like compose your thoughts and put them into an email and it's not lost on me and 
if you guys ever want to do that, I'm always here for that. So the email is mixtressradio at gmail, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S, radio at gmail. Um, anyway, thank you so much, Cheryl. It's just, I almost just want to end the podcast right there. Like, thank you so much. So validating. You guys are the best. This is all about you. Love you. Bye. <laughs> um, not really though. Cause we do have to talk about two fucking episodes right now. Okay. I'm going to take a big drink. Hold on. I'm nervous today because like, I feel like on the one hand talking about this Buffy episode, is nerve-wracking because there's a lot of cultural insensitivity, I guess is like a nice way to put it. I don't really know how to talk about this episode. In my mind, and I think I even said this last week, I think I even said something like, it's going to be so fun next week, we're going to talk about this hilarious episode of Buffy that's about Thanksgiving, yay! But I had forgotten that it's, I appreciate that they tried. I think they were trying to say something. They were trying to bring up some, some shit about white guilt and the destruction of indigenous people. They were trying to say something they didn't quite do it right. It wasn't, when I really started thinking about it, I was like, oh shit, this is going to be bad. And then I watched it and I was like, yeah, it's bad, but it's not as bad as I thought. Um, it's definitely not good. (laughs) It's definitely not, um, I would just, okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When I talk about this, I, I don't actually, I don't actually know what to say about this subject because I don't have the right standpoint from which to speak on this. I am, according to my mom, I am, I am a 64th Cherokee, but (laughs) if you want to do the math on that, that's only like one point something percent of my being. And I have no connection to that. I don't know any of the family members that, um, I mean, I guess, you know, you go back, if I'm a 64th and my mom's a 32nd and my grandma's a 16th. Um, so my grandma would be the only one that's anywhere near as a bigger percentage of indigenous people within her being, but she doesn't have a relationship to that culture at all. So I haven't, basically my standpoint is white. I am a white person. I have celebrated Thanksgiving every year of my life and I never really thought that hard about it because it's easy for me as a white person to not have to think that hard about it. You know, the story that we're told growing up as white people is that we were on death's door when we came to America and the indigenous people helped us like made a huge meal and made a peace offering to us. And that's a beautiful, beautiful story. If there's any truth to that, that is a beautiful story. But what is 
left out is the fact that even if they extended that huge kindness to us, we repaid them by wiping out their people and it hasn't stopped. You know, we're like trying to build pipelines through their land and we still don't treat them as equals. The way that this episode kind of, you know, has like the mystical flute shit playing in the background every time you see Hoos, Hus, Hoos, I think he pronounces it Hoos. Um, the way that he just like mystically turns into different animals. It's all beautiful and exotic, but that is a problem. Exoticizing cultures that are not your own is a problem. Um, the mystical flute bullshit is a problem. You have to think about like, yeah, the fact that we all get together on Thanksgiving with our families and eat a shit ton of food and that's really what the holiday is fine. You know, it's no problem to get together with your family and eat a shit ton of food, but trying to pretend that it has something to do with respect for a culture that isn't your own. And it's about giving and, um, generosity of spirit and all of that shit. Pretending that it's about that is just shitty. I think because that's not what we did. Um, anyway, so it's an interesting conversation and it's one that I don't, I mean, I would assume that if I were a person like living in a reservation that grew up being ostracized by white people, I would have some bad feelings towards the holiday of Thanksgiving just like I would have bad feelings towards Christopher Columbus Day. I already have bad feelings towards Christopher Columbus Day. It is my thought. I've been doing a lot of thinking about it just in general as a concept. And if I had any say over the actions of my family, and I really don't, but if I did, I think I would stop celebrating Thanksgiving because it seems wrong to me now that I really have been thinking about it the last few days. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, do you think that it's, I don't really understand. I don't know how to feel about it because I really have never thought about it until now. I, I just thought, no, oh, Thanksgiving, you eat a bunch of shit. You eat a bunch of food with your family. And I didn't even really think about the stories that we were, the legends of like, you know, indigenous people and white people coming together and having a meal. I didn't even really think about that aspect of it because I just figured that was a fucking story that we were told anyway, you know, because growing up, I just, I think I just sort of assumed that once I realized Santa Claus wasn't real and I was very pissed off when I found out that I was lied to about Santa Claus. I just assumed that all holidays had a story attached to them, to them that somebody wanted to make up a story for, and it kind of pissed me off. Um, I just thought the story, the story just isn't the point. The story is the point that people like to pretend is the reason for the season. People like to like fixate on the story, but I, always in my mind, 
I mean, people's actions have nothing to do with the story. People's actions are just, we do this because we've always done this. So I just assumed that people were making something up to justify whatever they were doing. And I would ignore the story from then on, you know, the story doesn't matter because it really doesn't, you know, people really aren't celebrating Jesus's birth when they celebrate Christmas. They say it's about that and they go to church, but really it's just about capitalism. Like don't pretend. <laughs> Okay, I've already been babbling for 20 minutes, and we haven't even started talking about the episode yet. Okay, pangs, 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 pangs. Okay, first of all, why is Buffy wearing a cowboy hat in the very beginning of this episode? And it's a black cowboy hat. Is this like a black hat, cowboys and Indians bullshit? I think maybe. <laughs> Terrible joke. Angels stalking this whole episode. Um, I really do want to try to get through this Buffy episode relatively quickly because I think that the Angel episode is more, has more character development and more, more to say about it. So, okay. Stocked by Angel, New Cultural Center, Angel's first carpentry, Angel's first, I wrote Angel's first carpentry job, job but I meant Xander's first carpentry job. Um... <laughs> I watched the um, TPN's Buffy Guide on YouTube. Really great. Um, so we see Spike kind of skulking around in this episode because he's he's kind of gaunt looking and hungry and he's got this tattered blanket he's carrying around with him everywhere because he can't feed because he has been, the chip has been put in, in him by the initiative. And, um, the guy on the TPN channel, he, when he first saw Spike, he said, ever the stupid, sexy drama queen. <laughs> Cause you know, it was just funny that like, he's got his leather coat still, his leather jacket, his leather trench coat, but he has like a tattered blanket that he's carrying over his coat. And it's just funny. Um, we see Riley and Finn and Graham in their like initiative gear, but their faces are painted in camo, which is really weird. Like, are we supposed to make some sort of pair? I didn't think about this until this exact moment, but are we supposed to make some sort of parallel between the initiative guys and their camo faces and the indigenous, the Shumash later, the Shumash warriors later went in their war faces is this the war face of the initiative? Whatever. Um, and then another thing that the TPN guy on YouTube said, um, whenever Hoos like dissipates into a, a flock of, uh, into a murder of crows and flies away, which I have to say looked really cool. Like even with like the bad special effects of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in 1999, that looked cool. <laughs> that was a cool moment, but um how he how he <laughs> described it was then disappears into a flock of cultural insensitivity. Yes. Um so throughout this episode, Angel is stalking Buffy and he doesn't want Buffy to know that he's there. He doesn't want to interrupt her life. But Doyle just had that vision in the last episode of Angel where Buffy was in danger. So he feels he needs to lurk around in Sunnydale now and see if she's okay. 
and be ready to jump in and save her. But he doesn't want her to know that he's there. And Buffy, throughout the episode, there are three distinct times that she is kind of looking around like, what's going on? Maybe a fourth time. It's possible that she noticed in the final battle, too, that like something was weird. She just sort of like, at the very beginning of this episode, she's fighting a vampire, and after she dusts him, she kind of looks around like, like somebody's watching her, and Angel's lurking in the bushes. And there's a second time when she's like looking at her window in the dorm and just sort of like trying to find something. And Willow's like, is somebody out there? And she's like, no, no, it's fine. And Angel is out there looking at her. And then a third time she's in Giles's kitchen, like trying to like plan the Thanksgiving meal and blah, blah, blah. And she just sort of looks around for a second, like what's going on? And then she leaves. So there's three distinct times, possibly a fourth, that she just knows that something, someone's there. You know, like, you know someone's watching you. Plus, you know, Angel's house is not very big. You know, I don't even, as far as we know, he's got, like, his loft bedroom upstairs. Seems like kind of a loft situation. He's got a bathroom down that little hallway. He's got the kitchen and then the living room. Like, we don't ever know of there being another bedroom back down that hallway. There might be. But, like, if Angel's lurking around in Giles' house while Buffy's there, like, she would definitely sense that someone else was there, you know? She would probably smell him. Like, I mean... If your ex, you would know his distinct scent, I feel. Like, maybe not. Maybe not. But, anyway. Um, cultural center. Okay, I like what Willow... I like a lot of Willow's arguments. Um, so, they're talking about cultures melding together, and that being the the whole point of Thanksgiving. Because we're at the cultural center, they're getting ready to like break ground on this new cultural center site and um xander's there in his very first carpentry gig oh i already said that okay and she says something about the melting pot and willow says what a lo load of horse hooey it's not about the blending of two cultures it's about one culture wiping out another it's about the destruction of the indig indigenous peoples oh, um anya just kind of turns around and says I love a ritual sacrifice. And Buffy's like, what are you talking about? And then Anya just kind of boils it down. Like, it's a ritual sacrifice to commemorate an event. You slaughter an animal and it's a ritual sacrifice with pie. <laughs> um, I like that explanation. Um, Xander starts digging at the groundbreaking and he falls through to an old mission. Um, and this is where you first start hearing the like mystical flute, you know, the sort of like universal white people writers symbol that, you know, some mystical Native American shit is about to happen. Angel's lurking again, Buffy looking out the window. That's that second Spidey sense moment. Um, Willow finds out that there was an, so where where Xander fell through was an old mission and it was just buried. And then she talks about how 
she says, you know, how the master had that old church underground. And she says, doesn't it make you wonder what else is there? Like right under our feet. And this is one of two separate moments in this episode where, or in these two episodes, the Angel episode and the Buffy episode, where I, I want to give the writers enough credit that they knew what was going to happen in the next few years, but probably they didn't. But if you want a headcanon where the writers knew exactly the trajectory of the entire series from this point, it's kind of cool that Willow says this because she ends up at the end of season six, rising an old, um, what is it? Lilith? Is it a Lilith temple? It could be Lilith. It's definitely like a, a girl satanic goddess. And I want to say it was Lilith, um, that she's, it's like an old temple that she, old satanic temple that she's rising from underground that she unearths in that last episode of, or next to last episode or one of those of season six. Not a spoiler free podcast, guys. Um, I know you know that, so I probably don't need to bring it up, but it's just kind of funny that, that, that would be a nice bit of foreshadowing if the writers actually knew what they were doing at this point, which they probably didn't. Because most of the time when you read about, like, the Buffy writers, they're all like, we're, we were flying by the seat of our pants. We didn't know what was going on. Um, another funny moment, like, um, Willow and Buffy are arguing, like, about whether or not they should have Thanksgiving. And Buffy really wants to have one. She wants to make the meal. She wants to, you know, have it with her chosen family. Since her mom's out of town, blah, blah, blah. And Willow's like, it's a sham. And Buffy's like, it is a sham. A sham with yams. It's a yam sham. There's a lot of really great, like, funny moments in this episode. Like, it is an enjoyable episode if you can ignore the cultural insensitivity therein. Um... Let's see. Oh, this is the camel face part. I have like notes in several different sections, so I'm like all out of order, but whatever. Um, in that scene with Riley Graham and, um, oh, I just forgot, I just forgot the other guy's name. Finn? No. I just had it a second ago. God damn it. What is his name? Anyway, with the three of them in their initiative gear and their camo faces, he says, it's neutered. It can't hurt anyone. You know, so they're still sort of after Spike. They're trying to recapture Spike. Um, so that's a good argument. Like, why? Why? Why are they trying to capture Spike whenever he is neutered now? Um, I just had to note... I noticed when um, we were in the dorm with Willow and Buffy that they both had like pillar candles on their nightstands. Um, and then just like no candle holder, just like big thick pillar candles. And then the next scene with Xander like being all sick when he's trying to get ready for work and Anya comes and like takes care of him. He also has a pillar candle on like his little, it looks like a coffee table, but it's at the end of his bed. So I just thought that was interesting that all three of them, like within the span of like a two minutes, 
you get to see that they all have little pillar candles next on their essentially nightstand type places next to their bed. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. <laughs> I'm a detail person. Um, my next note was avenging demon is here. I guess that's just, we see who's, um, manifest at this point. And he, that's when he kills the cultural center proprietor chick. He just like has the Shumash knife from inside the current cultural center. And she just got off the phone and he kills her. Um, my next note was Buffy's distracted by Thanksgiving. So one of the things that this episode does well is there's several moments where since Buffy is so obsessed with like making the perfect Thanksgiving dinner and having everyone over to Giles's house and she wants to get every element right. Um, and she's just obsessed with the idea. And they're also trying to figure out, they're trying to talk it out whether or not they should, um, they should try to kill this avenging spirit because of all the white guilt that they have <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. And this, ep what it, this episode does well is how they sort of go back and forth from that. Like they're having an argument about whether or not it's okay to kill this avenging demon after all the, the terrible things that white people have done to his tribe. Basically the Shumash Indians were completely eradicated by, um, white people in this storyline. I don't know if that's the case historically or if it's just the way that they decided to discuss it. I think the Shumash Indians are still around. Um, if you want a better, more well-rounded discussion about that, about the cultural significance of the Shumash Indians, about the, um, cultural sensitivities and lack thereof the buffering the vampire slayer um episode on this episode of Buffy does a much better job they have a conversation with an indigenous person about like some of the like cultural ramifications of this episode and blah 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 and how it's how it's aged and how she feels about it. And it was, it's all much more thorough than I could be just on my own, not having the knowledge. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so if you want a better discussion of that, um, buffering the vampire slayers podcast is a great resource for that. Um, let's see, where are we? Giles, I feel I should remind you she's not okay. Um, so after Buffy like leaves when she has that little spidey sense moment where she feels like angels around or she just like looks around and like she's looking for something. Um, Angel walks out. So he was, you know, down the hall and I like what Giles says in this little argument. Um, he's basically against angel keeping it a secret that he's there. He doesn't think it's a good idea. And at one point he says, I feel I should remind you she's not helpless and it's not your job to keep her safe. Um, and then there's like this gross little, I don't know, patriarchy, toxic masculinity moment where angel like sort of replies, well, like, I don't see you leaving either. You know, you're not a watcher anymore. 
and you're still hanging around protecting her. This whole, and this is something that we're going to talk about a lot when we, the theme of the interpersonal relationship between Angel and Buffy throughout these two episodes, the Buffy episode and the Angel episode. The theme here is that Angel thinks he needs to protect Buffy by making decisions that affect her in her absence without her consultation and consent. He thinks that he knows what's best and that he doesn't need to consult her, which I think is shitty. Overall, I think it's shitty. I do realize that he's 242 years old or whatever the fuck, and she's 18 or 19 at this point. But that she also is a slayer. She's gone through a lot. She, and yeah, I know there's a lot of drama when Angel and Buffy are around each other. And Buffy has a lot of erratic emotions around Angel. So from his standpoint, I understand why he wants to just stick to the shadows. It's easier for him that way, but that doesn't make it right. And Giles said, you know, says at one point, it's not fair. You know, that's what she would say. He doesn't feel comfortable keeping this from her. Um, but this is the only moment in the episode that Giles acts like that. Like he makes that argument to Angel and then later he defends Angel's position when he's talking to Willow. He's like, well, we got to keep, we got to keep it a secret that he's here, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um... Spike watching. So then we get another moment of Spike. He's like outside a, a broken window and he's covered in that ratty shawl again. And he's looking in at some vampires feeding um, and feeling bad. Like he's on the outside looking in. Very Five of Pentacles moment. That's a, that's a tarot reference, you guys. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I like, I think the outfit of the episode, there really aren't any good ones necessarily, but I think the outfit of the episode is going to be Buffy's, um, I don't know if this is her Thanksgiving day outfit or if she's wearing something different then. I don't know. She's just wearing like a kind of a simple black shirt and, um, a long, like red and green, maybe tartan skirt, tartan plaid. It's cute. So I mean, it's barely cute. Let's be honest. Like, there's really no good fashion in this episode. Anya was wearing a really cool sheer, like, Bordeaux red shirt whenever she goes to take care of Xander. But other than that, not so good. My next note was Angel Creepy. Well, sure. I don't know what specifically I was referring to there, but he is creepy. Um, oh, yeah. He... I think it's just, I don't like that he just sort of like puts his hand over Willow's mouth and sort of like pulls her to the side and insists upon telling Willow that he's there and why he's there. Like, why does he want to connect with everyone but Buffy? Like, I could see, and I think this was said in the Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast too, I could see 
him making an, some sort of argument with going to Giles and telling Giles that he's there and why he's there and consulting with Giles. But it makes no goddamn sense for him to talk to Willow and later he talks to Xander and Anya. He doesn't even know who Anya is. Has he ever, ever even met Anya before? I don't think so. Like he talks to everyone except Buffy, which I think is shitty. Um, Angel, he tells, he tells Willow there's no time for personal stuff because she's asking him all kinds of questions. Um, but then like two seconds later, he's like, who's that guy? Because Buffy's in the background talking to Riley. Um, just a little moment. Like they just had to have a little moment of Riley having a conversation with Buffy. And he's just basically talking about how he was about to head home to Iowa. And he's describing his family situation that they all have dinner. And then they go walk the dogs out by the lake. And it sounds so idyllic and awesome. Like, I don't know how it is with you and your family. <laughs> Maybe that's what you do. If so, be feel lucky because that sounds amazing i also know that i am very lucky with my family um we don't really fight and sometimes i think like it would be nice if we did we're just sort of incredibly sorry i just got chills there for a second we're just like incredibly polite um and, and a lot of that is my grandma. My grandma has to have a lot of control. Like she has to make all the food. Like no one's going to, she kind of lets people help a little bit, but not very much. Um, everything has to be ready at a certain time. She's got a system. And also she does not like for anyone to argue or debate. Like my grandpa is he really likes to like push my buttons and get me to argue with him because it's like a tradition for him like he used to um he's a republican and his grandpa or his not his grandpa his dad was a democrat and they used to have you know political debates and arguments and stuff and he really got something from that he liked having those sort of um political philosophical arguments with his dad and he I think he sort of sees that relationship in me. Like he intentionally pushes my buttons sometimes because he wants to get into debates with me. But my grandma won't have it. She shuts it down. She does not want there to be any lively discussion of differing opinions. <laughs> she just like will not let it happen. So our family is just sort of like, tragically polite and sort of surfacey and even though we see each other a lot like we don't really go deep you know um so I sort of like sometimes when I'm watching you know how it's like a theme in like especially sitcoms where you see a Thanksgiving situation and it's people arguing you know and yelling at each other and airing all their grievances and sometimes I'm a little sad that like our family does not we do not air our grievances we just don't talk about anything you know um but anyway that's just like a silly little thing but Riley's Thanksgiving family situation sounds cute Although I have to say, I'm really wanting to be on Riley's side, like I've said before, but I, I guess this is kind of mean, but I mean, Mark Lucas is never going to hear this and it, this was 20 years ago, but he looks terrible in this scene. 
Like his hair is just awful. I hate his hair. And in his clothing, I guess they're really trying to make him look like a generic Iowa boy. They're really pushing that hard. Like, I don't think that's necessarily Mark Lucas's fault, but he just does not look like a person that you'd want to date at all. <laughs> um, just not at all. Okay. Let's see. Oh, um, Spike tries to go back to crawl back to Harmony because, you know, he's starving and he needs... He needs someone to take care of him. He needs to be let in. He is, you know, he needs someone. But Harmony, she's been doing some reading and she's in control of her power now. <laughs> I really liked that. Um, so she kicks him out. And let's see. Buffy goes to see Father Gabriel. I don't know who Father Gabriel, I can't remember who he was supposed to be, but I think Giles mentioned him as somebody that Buffy should go talk to um, for some reason. I don't remember. Um, but when Buffy arrives at the church to meet with him, um, the Hoos is killing him at that moment. So Buffy starts fighting him, but she feels she has the white guilt and she backs off for a moment and he, that's when he dissipates into a murder of crows and flies away. Um, bloody. Why did I write down bloody? I don't know. Um, I think the quote of the episode, I'm going to go ahead and get that out there now, is, so Buffy and Giles are arguing in the kitchen again while she's trying to make food. And Buffy's like, I like it. I want it to be simple. I like my evil like I like my men. Evil. <laughs> um, so that's the quote of the episode. Um, then Giles and Willow get into a big argument. Um, so it's that whole traditional Thanksgiving argument thing. They're arguing because Willow is like, I, I don't think we should kill him. I mean, we exterminated his race. It makes sense that he's angry. It makes sense that he's come back to avenge what's happened to him and his people. And Giles is like, well, I mean, I feel bad, but, you know, we still have to kill him. He's a spirit. He's a vengeful spirit. He's going to kill. Um... And he starts like arguing something about a level head and Willow's like, well, I happen to think mine is the level head and yours is the one things would roll off of. So that's the secondary quote of the episode. Um, Xander, at this point, Xander's there and he looks awful. And they decide that like, this is part of the, what's going on, that he has syphilis and all of these other things. He has mystical syphilis, essentially. Um... And Giles says something really important. At, at no point do I feel like Giles is being insensitive. Like, he's arguing that we should kill the spirit. Yes. But he's arguing that we should kill the spirit because the spirit is, the spirit is killing other people. He's misplacing his avenging vengeance. You know, he's not like the crow who's coming back to kill the exact people that killed his... Um, his person. Um, I'm thinking about the movie, The Crow, by the way, and the concept of just that whole comic book was about different people being, coming back from the dead to avenge what happened to them. And they're avenging by killing the exact people that killed them. Whereas this spirit is not doing that. The spirit is just indiscriminately killing. So even though Giles is arguing to kill the spirit, the arguments, the discussions here, I think, are 
they have good intentions. You know, I don't, nothing that Giles says is like culturally insensitive. I don't think really. Um, at one point he says, vengeance is never sated. Hatred is a cycle. So that's something that like, I'm sure the writers being probably all white, you know, they have white guilt too. And they're, you know, they're saying some things that are important and interesting and thought provoking. What they were doing here was definitely ahead of its time, even though it's behind the time now. It has not aged well now, but back in 1999, this was progressive probably, I think. Um, but I like that just taken by itself. Like if you were going to cross stitch it on a pillow, vengeance is never sated. Hatred is a cycle. That makes sense. Um, I guess you probably wouldn't put that on a pillow cause it's not very positive sounding, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Spike comes to Giles, Giles's house. Um, okay. So this is where he shows up and like his last resort is to ask them for help and them being the good guys they do let him in. They tie him to a chair. And, um, so this is the beginning, this moment right here, Thanksgiving, the melding of two cultures, <laughs> Spike being led into the group, um, vampires and humans, vampires and slayers hanging out together. Um, so I don't know if that, if they were meaning that the whole blending of two cultures by having Spike there, they probably were trying to do that. Um, so that's, it's nice to see, just because I know where we're going, like overall the years, especially this season of Spike, just being around and just being comic relief and before like his obsession with Buffy really goes over the top. Um, I don't think we find out until season five that he's like in love with her. So we still have a little bit of time. Um, to the, the good old days where he's just hanging around being hilarious. This is the beginning of that. So this, this makes me happy to see him like tied to the chair, kind of scooting around and making silly jokes and all that shit. Good times. Um, Spike come to Giles, um, who's decides to resurrect a bunch of his friends and then they come to Buffy's house be, to, to, to stage a siege, to siege, to not Buffy's house, Giles's house. Um, the siege. Yes. Siege is coming. <laughs> um, they're, they're having the big argument still like, what are we going to do? Are we going to kill him? Like Buffy's still just trying to make Thanksgiving dinner and she just sort of wants, she wants Giles and Willow to come up with to slay or not to slay. She wants them to kind of figure it out. She's not weighing in a whole lot. Um, and they're arguing and she's stressed cause she's trying to make the food. And at one point Spike, um, intervenes and you know, Willow's like, well, maybe if we could talk to him and Spike says, you exterminated his race. What could you possibly say to make him feel better? So that in and of itself is a good point. Like what could you possibly say? However, one thing that should be pointed out is they don't have a conversation with him at any point. He has a conversation with Buffy 
that first fight whenever she caught him killing Father Gabriel. But that is it. That is the only time that they talk, and it's only a few lines. The rest of the time, they're not trying to have any sort of dialogue with him whatsoever. That is something important, that they're not even trying to, like, if this were Star Trek Next Generation, Picard would somehow talk this spirit down and he would just bow in reverence and mutual respect would abound and then he would do his like dissipating, dissipating into crows thing and fly off in peaceful harmony and, you know... <laughs> If only Buffy were like Picard in this moment. <laughs> Sorry, I watch Star Trek Next Generation every night before bed right now, going through the series again. Okay. I just, I thought about that in this episode. Like, sometimes Buffy tries to deal with, like, real shit and Buffy, as, as a show, and Buffy hits you over the head with its morality constantly. But, like the only show that can really deal with philosophy, philosophy, philosophy and morality correctly that I've seen is Star Trek Next Generation because seriously, those episodes are all about like the melding of two cultures. I mean, like get some Star Trek writers on this shit right now. <laughs> Come on, guys. You could have handled this better. Um, Let's see, Spike tied to a chair, you exterminate his race. Spike starts whining about how, like, when, apparently when vampires are starving, they don't, like, die, but they just become living skeletons. So, interesting to note in the, just, it's nice to get, like, little bits of vampire lore here and there. <laughs> um, when Xander sees... There's this running joke throughout the episode that, like, um, as soon as Willow saw Angel, she was like, ah, you're evil, you're evil. He's like, I'm not evil. And then as soon as Xander saw Angel, he was like, you're evil again. It's like, why does everybody think I'm evil again? I'm not evil again. I haven't been evil for a while. Um, this is the moment where, so when Xander sees Willow and Xander, no, when Angel sees Willow, Xander, and Anya, I think it would have been in Angel's character since he's been lurking he would know that Spike is in Giles's house. It would be very weird for Angel not to say anything about Spike but he doesn't. So that's just like a little moment of like oops they really should have thought of that because Angel hates Spike and Angel would think that Spike is a threat to Buffy so he'd be like what the fuck why was he there? Are you guys okay? Why is Spike there? He would have had questions. He would have been jealous. He would have said something about Spike, but he didn't. So, missed opportunity there. Um, and this is where I sort of just stopped taking notes. So there's the, they show up, the um, Hoos and his dudes, I think they're all dudes. In fact, I'm sure of it, they're all dudes. They show up and they just start, you know, shooting arrows into Giles' house. And I don't think they destroy that much. Like, just a bunch of arrows end up in different things, and three in Spike. Um, 
and it's just funny watching him try to scoot around in the chair because they're not at all attempting to help Spike. They're just ignoring him. And I think that's funny. <laughs> but during that whole thing, I just kind of stopped making notes. But the part that was the most hilarious when um, Hoos turns into a bear while Buffy is fighting him and um, Spike says, you made a bear, you made a bear undo it undo it <laughs> really funny it's just it's good to have spike in this mode of just being hilarious and helpless um this is my favorite version of spike um just now is my favorite version of spike it really is so yeah okay so let's do i was about to just like jump to the angel episode but let's do we need to do ratings. So outfit of the episode, I guess we're just going to, like I said, go with that, um, the tartan skirt thing that Buffy was wearing earlier. So let me write that down. Because even Harmony's outfit was kind of terrible. It was very, it was very reminiscent of how she would have dressed in high school. Um, maybe she was just dressing as a badass when she was trying to impress Spike and we were supposed to see this this outfit as being you know more herself again i don't know which tracks because i don't think we ever see harmony dressing like a badass ever again but i just really liked that version of harmony anyway quote of the episode like i said is i mean i guess it's just i really like willow's mine is the level head and yours is the one things would fall roll off of <laughs> But also, I like my evil like I like my men evil. So I don't know. It's a tie between those two quotes. MVP of the episode. Oh, I guess I should mention the very last shot is a really iconic shot of, um, of Buffy with all... Everybody sat down to eat after, after they kill... After they finally decide to kill the Shumash guy and... Xander syphilis is clearing up and he accidentally lets it slip that Angel was there and um, Buffy's like what and they all like the their reaction looking at her is hilarious um, especially Spike like I don't even really think I'd look at anyone else but Spike's like little smirk like yeah Angel was here Buffy what do you think about that <laughs> and that's the last shot of the episode MVP of the episode. God. I almost want to give it to Harmony again just because she kicked Spike out and it was just a nice little moment. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, nobody really stands out as being MVP of the episode in this episode. I need to think about it for a second. not Angel because he's a shithead for not telling Buffy he was there. Uh, let's give it to Willow because you know even though she was being very rigid in her opinions she was trying to be she was the only one that was starting the conversations of trying to be culturally sensitive. She was being the you know, the one to start that conversation. And she had a lot of good points. So let's give it to Willow.
Um, five by five ratings. Okay. Treatment of women in this episode. Um, God. I mean, it was fine, I guess. Yeah. I mean, just like no real like girl power moments, but not really any sexist moments either. I don't think. Um, besides, you know, Angel just thinking that he knows best, which is kind of a patriarchy thing. Um, so I'll just give it a three for that. As far as enjoyability of the episode, like, despite it being culturally insensitive and not aging that well, I think its heart was in the right place and it was a funny episode. So I'm going to give it a four. So this episode gets a 12 for the overall score. Okay, so let's talk about I Will Remember You. Um, I'm going to read. I didn't really consult the episode guide for the Buffy episode, the Nikki Stafford episode guide, but I am going to consult it for the Angel episode. So let's open it up. are we? Oh. Okay. Written by David Greenwald, Janine Renshaw. Directed by David Grossman. Okay, here's the summary of I Will Remember You. When Angel touches the blood of a demon and becomes human again, he and Buffy finally have a shot at a normal relationship. So that is the gist of this whole episode. It's essentially like this particular demon's blood has regenerative powers and when it was mixed with Angel's blood she comes to see him because she's like bitch what is the deal you were there you were in my town and you didn't say hi what the fuck um, and then he gets attacked by a demon with like a troll jewel in his forehead and they have to go fight him together. They have an argument in a sewer again about, you know, like how hard the breakup is and blah, blah, blah. And, um, then his blood gets mixed with the demon's blood and he turns human and he goes to consult the oracles. This is the first time we meet the oracles in Angel. And maybe I should be actually consulting my notes here. Like, why have them if I'm not going to consult them? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, where are we? <laughs> so, I don't know who said this. I think it was Cordelia. Batten down the hatches. Here comes Hurricane Buffy. <laughs> who said that? I don't even remember. Um... This episode has, like, it's kind of hitting you over the head with this theme of time. So it opens with Angel is, for this being, like, such a heart-wrenching episode, it's, I'm surprised that it's not written, it's not directed by Joss Whedon. Um, or did it just say that? And I'm just like, no, it was, like, directed by David, somebody. Anyway, whatever. Um, not even a regular director on Angel. Um... What are we talking about? You guys, I'm delirious. 
<laughs> You're so used to it now. I'm so sorry. Maybe I just need to like figure out how to record these episodes a day early or something. I think I say that every week. Next week I get off early in the day though. So I could ostensibly like come home 2.30 in the afternoon, eat some lunch, start recording while it's still daylight next week. I could do that if I have my shit together. Um, don't hold your breath. Let's see. <laughs> it might happen next week. Anyway. Um, stalking me in the shadows and didn't even say hello. I had to write down, um, I, the first time I watched the, I will remember you episode with my Michael, he said, Buffy's got big girl pants. <laughs> like, and that's a good argument. Like she essentially lays it out for Angel. Like I have been through a lot in my life. I can handle myself. You could have told me you were there. Like we could have fought this thing together. Oh, I was talking about oracles. I was like, I know I was in the middle of something and then I got distracted. Okay. So the powers that be have never been mentioned in the show Buffy, but they have been mentioned a couple of times at this point in Angel because Doyle's visions are brought to you by the powers that be. And we didn't know if that was just going to be going to be something that was just sort of offhanded, offhandedly mentioned. But in this episode, we get to see Angel wants to consult the powers that be after he like turns human again and eats some pop tarts. <laughs> um, and so he has to go talk to these oracles. So we'll see the oracles many more times throughout the series and, um, they confirm, yes, you are human now, you know, you no longer owe anything to us. Um, you know, go on about your life. Done. Um, and they just sort of shoo him away, which I'm getting ahead of myself because I need to go back to my notes now. Buffy's got big girl pants, skulking, and then Buffy sort of says to Angel when she first gets there, like, it's not fair. You know, when you're not there, I can feel you. So she's referring to those moments where she felt him in the, in the last Buffy episode. I was really jonesing for another heartbreaking sewer talk. Makes a demon of vampire blood. Makes Angel a real boy. That's that's my note. Um, I love that the very first thing that he eats, like he's basically just indiscriminately eating everything in his path. But I just happened to notice that the very first thing that Angel puts in his mouth is a pop tart. <laughs> I one of my vices in this life. I used to eat Pop-Tarts for breakfast every day and it was glorious, but it was really not good for me. <laughs> and I had to quit doing that. Um, I had to be a goddamn adult and start eating more bland things in the morning. And I can't handle that much sugar in the morning now. But anyway, anyway, they have to consult the oracles. We beseech access to the knowing ones. You were released from your fealty. So that is something that the oracles say to Angel. Like, yeah, you're human now. You were released from your fealty. Um, okay, this moment. So when he realizes he actually is human and it's, it's confirmed, he, at this point, he is also like Cordelia and Doyle saw him when he was having that little frenzy of eating a bunch of stuff. And that was before he decided to go consult the oracles. And he told them 
go find Buffy, but don't tell her. You know, again, he's making decisions. This is a theme. Angel, for some reason, thinks he knows best, which is kind of a new thing for Angel. Like, Angel has been pretty stupid and submissive to Buffy throughout most of their relationship, despite, like, the evil moments. Him, like, deciding that he knows best and being, like, all wise and blah, blah, blah. That is a completely new thing. Um... But yeah, so he, he tells them, don't tell her. And it's just another moment that, I mean, I get, in all of these instances when he's like, don't tell her, I get where he's coming from. Like, he just, just doesn't want to be dramatic. He doesn't want to make things bigger than they have to be. Like, blah, blah, blah. But also it could be argued that he is doing that so that he can make the decision he can have so that he can just like without the burden of hearing what she thinks about the situation he's able to just sort of like silence her so that he can figure out what he wants to do without her input and these are things that concern her so I think that's a little shitty. Again, making decisions without consulting her that affect her. That said, that moment when he walks from the shadows out into the sun, into her arms on the beach. Like, I am not this person that, like, I actually have never really been that affected by this episode. Like, I might cry at the end whenever um, Buffy's just losing her shit, saying, I'll remember, I, I'll never forget, I'll never forget. You know, I'll cry then, because I cry every time Sarah Michelle Gellar cries. Like, she is just one of the all-time best criers of all time. And also Willow. Like, Allison Hannigan. Like, the two ultimate best criers in the universe on the same show. And they cry a lot. <laughs> But I have never actually been, this is the first time when I watched this episode the other day. And again, I usually only watch Angel the one time. I was actually planning to watch it twice this time, but since I completely forgot until like 9 p.m. that I was even doing this today. <laughs> I need to set a reminder of my phone. Like, it just needs to say, don't forget Buffy, bitch. And just have it set for every Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. or something. Anyway. Um, I was actually really moved by this episode this particular time around. That moment of him, like, walking out into the sun, it's, it's just like, I mean, we've seen at least on two or three occasions, like, a dream of angels or a dream of Buffy's of the two of them on the beach together or something. You know, um, she has had that dream. She wants to have the normal life, the normal boyfriend, you know, like she says later, and seeing him just like walk out of the shadows into the sun and kiss her is sweet. It's a nice little moment. Like this is the first time I've, I've watched Buffy all the way through at least five, six, seven more times over the years. And this is the first time that I have this time around is the first time I've really cared about Buffy and Angel. And like, I mean, you guys know I was so done with them. Their relationship throughout season three just 
annoyed me and I was ready for him to go. But seeing them come back together in this episode is just a really great, the episode itself, even though it's super painful, it's actually a really nice bit of closure. You know, you get to see them at this point, they, you know, they kind of like have a moment where they have tea together and they try to like say that they're going to wait and make sure that this whole human thing sticks and that there really aren't gonna, going to be any consequences and then they do it. And then they eat ice cream in bed and it's just all this like sweet, happy, lovey-dovey stuff that is really, really touching. Like the two of them have great chemistry together. Um, you know, you're seeing Angel happy in a way that this sort of like easy way that David Boreanaz has of portraying happy you hardly ever get to see it as Angel. Um, you will get to see it more and more as the as his show continues, but you never have really seen it before this moment. Um, and it's something that you see often in his character of Celie Booth in Bones, which I also is a show that I like. I like that like David Boreanaz's career trajectory is like being on a series for like playing one character for like eight years straight as a supporting role to a woman. I mean, I guess he did get to have his own show for five years, but he started out as being a support character for Sarah Michelle Gellar and on Bones, he was a support character for Emily Deschanel. Um, I don't know. I just love that. <laughs> I think he's on some other show now where he's not supportive to a female character, but I like, I like that. He seems like a nice guy. He really does. Um, anyway, what was my point? I guess just that I was affected by this this time. You know, I really felt how, not only how heartbreaking this is, but also how beautiful it is. It's so beautiful that they got to have a day. They got to have a day and it's not fucking fair that Buffy doesn't get to remember the day. But we'll get there. Let me just get through my notes first before I go off on that rant. He walks in the sun, just like her dream. Where she leads, dark forces follow. I think that was something that um, Cordelia said at one point. They think they should be mature, but that last two seconds, doing it in ice cream. That's my note. Um, and then Buffy just makes a comment at one point when they're like getting ready to fall asleep together that, you know, this is, this is the dream. This is the moment. This is her moment of complete happiness. You know, if Buffy were capable of losing her soul, if she had one moment of complete happiness, this is that for her. You know, when she says, this is it, this is what I've wanted this whole time. A normal girl with her normal boyfriend falling asleep, listening to his heartbeat. And in, in one sense, it's so, I mean, Buffy's been wanting this. She really has. I mean, I don't like Normal's a triggering word for me. I don't like it, but that is the way that she's saying it. She's saying it is a good thing, so I'm going to let that pass. But just in general, that's not the sentence that I would have written if I were writing the script. To convey that particular sentiment, I wouldn't have written normal as the word. But on one sense, it's like, it's so great that she gets to have this, you know, like, even if it was one day, even if it would be heartbreaking to step away from this day 
and have to live as if it never happened the way that the episode ends. I think she should have gotten to keep this because, you know, up to this point, she, you know, she's only had sex twice and, you know, once with Angel and then he immediately went evil and it was terrible. And then once with Parker and he immediately stopped paying attention to her and it was awful. So wouldn't it be nice for her to have this memory? of like the person that she has been in love with, that she knows just as well as him that he had to go back to the fight against evil. He wasn't done atoning for his sins. Um, he can't be human. I mean, there's just no way he can't. She understands that. And she even kind of says that she, she even says outright that she understands that at the end of the episode. So, Anyway, I'm jumping ahead of myself again. Let me finish the fucking notes and then I'll go back. Um, my, I had to comment like a lot of different patterns in Angel's bed. Like his comforter, his sheets, and his pillows were like three or four different like flowery weird patterns, which... It seems very uncharacteristic of Angel. Like, shouldn't he have blood red sheets? That's what he's always had. <laughs> or just white. Like, either he's not going to give a shit at all about his sheets, or they're going to be highly stylized. But several different weird flowery patterns does not seem... I mean, they only put those sheets on his bed for this episode, and I don't know what the choice was for that. So, prop people, I see you, and I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess more accurately, set dressing people. I see you and I don't know what you're doing. Doyle, um, I, I wrote Doyle still has a vision. I think that's interesting because the powers that be, they sort of made it sound like the powers that be were sending Doyle vision so that he could convey to Angel what he needs to do because the powers that be have sort of let Angel know that he has that he has a scorecard or something and eventually he's going to do enough good deeds to outweigh the bad deeds that he's done in his past therefore he will we haven't heard about the Shanshu prophecy yet but that's going to be a big plot point in Angel coming up but I think it's interesting that he still has visions like why does he still have visions if you know the powers that be told Angel you know what did they say you're released from your fealty. So if he's really released from his fealty, why is Doyle still having visions? I mean, I guess Doyle could go fight this evil himself since he is part demon, but I don't know. Um, this, this, I just pissed me off because, okay, here's the biggest problem that I have with this episode. Like Angel's always making decisions that concern Buffy without her consent and knowledge. This is the most egregious of those moments throughout both of these episodes. So Doyle has a vision. He goes and wakes Angel up and lets him know about it. And, excuse me, <clears throat> Angel makes a decision to go after. So basically the vision that Doyle had was that um, he thought he'd killed the demon guy. 
Angel had thought that he would killed the demon guy, which he had, but since the demon has restorative powers in his blood, that means that he can restore himself. So Doyle had that vision that he restored himself because the only way you can really kill him is through destroying the jewel on his forehead, but they don't know that yet. So Angel decides, makes the decision to go after the Mora, 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 Mahra. I don't know, M-O-H-R-A, I think is the way they spelled it in the subtitles. He makes a decision to go after the Mora demon without waking Buffy up. When Angel is now human, therefore no longer superpowered, and presumably the Mora demon's going to be even more deadly than he was before after he regenerated himself but as a human for some reason the normal angel never would have done this the ensouled vampire angel would have woken buffy up immediately he would have been like well shit sucks to wake her up but we gotta go fight this thing let's go but he makes the decision to let her sleep he wouldn't wake her up for the world which means number one He's going to be at a huge disadvantage since he is now human. How does he expect to fight this thing by himself? Yeah, he's taking Doyle, and Doyle's a little bit of a badass when he goes into his demon phase, but he doesn't. He, he chooses to not go into his demon phase at all when he's helping Angel this particular time. I don't know why, because they didn't feel like using the budget to get him to shift, I guess. But, so not only is he heading into battle at an extreme disadvantage as he is now a human, but also, he's, this is just sort of, I feel like this is a patriarchy, toxic masculinity motivated decision. Like not only, I mean, I think what we were supposed to think is that, you know, after Buffy said that whole, I feel like I finally get to be a normal girl, normal boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. His motivation was probably, I want her to be able to soak up every single moment of this day. But that presumes that he already knows that he's not going to remain human. And maybe he does. Maybe at this point he, he knows, like, I can't sustain this. I can't be a human. He already said to Buffy at one point, I don't know what this means for me. Like, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know how to be a human essentially like what does this mean how can i continue to fight evil like how do i go on with my life he doesn't know where he fits and ultimately that never would have been sustainable um so maybe at this point he already knows this is not going to last so i want her to get to soak up every moment of this happiness and i'm not going to wake her up i'm not going to make her go fight this demon um i'm going to let her bask in this moment a little bit longer. I think that was his motivation, but you could also see it as like his stupid, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, it pisses me off, but then it doesn't piss me off. It's like, I guess it's consistent within the last episode of Buffy and this episode of Angel that like Angel makes all kinds of decisions for her own good without consulting her, but they're all motivated in ways that I can kind of understand why he made the decision, but I still don't think it's right that he did. And this is the biggest grievance of those, not waking her up. He could have died at the hands of the Mara de demon. He could have died because he didn't feel like waking her up. <sighs> Whatever. 
Did you guys ever do like that color code personality test thing for like your work or whatever? The, okay, I can outline the whole thing really quick. Basically, it's just like, you know, a personality profile thing, like the Myers-Briggs test or something, but it's, you get sorted into one of four colors. If you're a yellow, and it's all based on your motivations, like in, in life. And overall, I think this philosophy kind of works. Um, so if you're a yellow, your motivation is fun. Also Hufflepuff. I think would be a yellow. If you are a blue, your motivation is relationships, is your connection to other people. Like you make every decision based on love and how it's going to look to other people and all of that stuff. If you're a red, your motivation is power. Um, and if you're a white, which I don't like, I think they should have made it green or something because it just sounds gross to be like I'm white well yes you are dear and <laughs> so but anyway um, if you're a white your motivation is peace um, so at any cost you will um, preserve peace your motivation is peace you do not want to create anxiety and drama in any other person um, and you don't want them to disturb your peace either. And that's, that's what I got. I got white. <laughs> and I think, and it just occurred to me that in these last two episodes, at least, Angel's motivation seems to be this. And we actually see this throughout his character kind of often. You know, like, he wants to be left alone with a book. He wants to sit next to a fire with a book. He just wants to be left alone. He wants to sit in the dark. And yeah, he fights evil because he thinks he needs to atone. And he does need to atone for all the shit that he's done. But he's not... He doesn't, like, seek out fighting, really. You know, he doesn't sort of have that sort of boiling urge to fight like Buffy does. He doesn't fly off the handle, um... A lot of the time you know and especially in these last two episodes like every decision that he makes on Buffy's behalf is because he's trying to save her from emotional turmoil he's trying to save himself from being from seeing her emotional turmoil most of the time whenever they're like kind of fighting um, or having these emotionally charged conversations. It's mostly Buffy screaming at him. <laughs> and he's just sort of like, you know, having kind of emotionally intelligent responses. And like, yeah, I don't know. So I can see him as the white personality type um, in the color code, at least during these last couple of episodes. Every, every decision he makes is to preserve the peace of Buffy and the peace of himself not having to listen to her emotions all over him. <laughs> Buffy's very much a blue, maybe? Well, in her interactions with Angel, in her boyfriend interactions, she's kind of a blue, but in everyday life, she's more of a red, I would say. I don't know. Anyway, um, let's see. <laughs> Let's get back to my notes. 
Buffy wakes up. So my note was Buffy wakes up alone again because I, you know, that was the first thing that was my first reaction is that she has sex for a third time in her life and she wakes up alone. She, she woke up alone for different reasons each time, but this time again, she wakes up by herself. Angel didn't tell her where he was going and it's just shitty. It's just shitty. He should have told her, should have woken her up. Sorry, but he should have. Um, smash the forehead jewel. It's my next note. So they kill him. They smash the forehead jewel. And then Angel, he sends, or Angel has to go, he goes and consults the oracles again. And he's, I don't know if he goes to talk to them because he wants to get, I think he does. He goes to them specifically to say, make me a vampire again. I, I can't do this. I can't, I'm useless. I can't, I'm useless as a human. I can't fight the forces of darkness. I have, this is who I am. I have to be an ensouled vampire. And the oracles say something about soldiers of darkness. And this is the second time where I'm going to, in my mind, I want to give the writers the foresight, foresight that I'm pretty sure they didn't actually have. But basically the oracles say something vague about soldiers, soldiers of darkness and that Buffy's going to die earlier than most is how they phrase it. Um, so this is where Angel's like, oh shit, well, I definitely need to go back to being a vampire so that I can help her. So his motivation for going back to being a vampire is this way he can still skulk around in the shadows and save Buffy, you know? Which is also a very, like, he doesn't need to save her, but, okay, here's where I'm giving them credit that they don't deserve. Soldiers of Darkness could be referring to the, um, the uber vamps from season seven that she ends up fighting. They are the Soldiers of Darkness. She's fighting a sea of vampires in the hell mouth and they're like pure forms of vampire than the ones that we normally see so they're very 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 powerful it's possible that the writers when they said soldiers of darkness were talking about the initiative but how are they soldiers of darkness i mean i guess they also operate underground but buffy's not really that threatened by them i don't think that's a big enough threat and Angel doesn't swoop in to save her during that time either. But it makes sense to me if you think about it, about it in the context of season seven, because the Uber vamps could be the soldiers of darkness, yes. But also, Angel, she needs a champion, you know, to wear that amulet, which is part of the reason why she won that battle at the end of season seven. But, um,. And Angel first comes to her because he thinks he's the one that's going to wear it. He thinks he's the champion. And in this current trajectory of timeline, the oracles could have foreseen that he would have to step in, but maybe they couldn't foresee everything. Maybe they couldn't foresee that Spike was going to also get a soul. And maybe they thought that only an ensouled vampire would be strong enough to 
be this champion and Buffy would have died at that point. Maybe they were saying that she would die earlier than most, as in the whole Slayer line would die off and that he was needed to fight that battle, but he couldn't have been strong enough to do it if he were still human at that point. So I'd like to think that that is a fun little headcanon for me that I never thought about before, but I'm sure that's not actually what they were doing right there. They probably had no idea what they were doing. They were just like, yeah, sure. Soldiers of darkness, but he's going to die. He needs to stay alive because he, you know, he needs to be there to to save Buffy. And I get it. You know, honestly, I get it. Why Angel would make the decision to go back because it doesn't make sense. You know, what is he going to do? You know, he can't still have Angel investigations. I mean, Cordelia knows she's already trying to like pawn off all of the office supplies and stuff. And she's trying to think about like what she's going to do next. And, you know, she's already looking for other jobs. Like she knows that him being human means that he can't, he's not going to be detective angel. He's not good at being a detective. You know, all he's good at is being super powered and skulking around. So the show would no longer exist if he were human and he would not be that interesting as a character if he were human. And I can also see it from the point of view, if I were Angel, I would not want to, I mean, yeah, he's a tortured soul and all of that shit. And maybe if he were human, he wouldn't be a tortured soul, but let's be honest, we don't watch these types of TV shows because we want to watch a well-adjusted human person have a life that's boring. <laughs> that's not what narratives are about. They're not about boring, happy, human crap. That's not why we watch it. So I get it. I totally get it. That's the way it has to be. Um, so they decide, okay, well, we can do it. We can just take away this day. And of course, like I said before, this, this episode, it kind of hits you over the head with the time theme. So the episode begins with Angel winding a clock. This whole thing happens in the exact span of 24 hours, essentially. It's 9 a.m. He's turning back the clock. Why is he up at 9 a.m.? He's a vampire. I don't know. But... <laughs> He would have just gone to bed like three hours ago. Um, so he's winding a clock at the very beginning of the episode. He ends up giving his watch to the oracles the first time he goes to see them because he needs to bring them a gift. Um, at the very end of the episode, he uses the clock to destroy the jewel in the forehead of the Mora demon after time has already been turned back. Um, it's just time, time, time. The oracle makes a a comment. The female oracle makes a comment when he first gives her his watch. I like time. There's so much of it and yet so little or something like that. Um, so it's all about time. So she basically says, we can swallow this day. We can turn the clock back 24 hours and only you, what did she say? Um, you alone will carry the memory of this day, the burden. Um, and he agrees. And then he goes back to Buffy and he 
this is the interesting thing to me. Like, throughout these two fucking episodes, he doesn't tell her he's there. He doesn't tell her, he doesn't wake her up. He doesn't tell her that he's going to become human. He doesn't, or he doesn't tell her when he becomes human. He wants to keep it a secret. He doesn't tell her that he's decided to go back to being a vampire. Um, he doesn't consult her on any of this shit. But he does decide to tell her what he has done. So they have like less than five minutes when he gets there and he's like, okay, look, here's the deal. In one minute, this day is going to be completely erased and you're not going to remember, but I am. That's how it is. And she kind of consents, you know, she's like, okay, I understand. And she cries and it's super emotional. And, you know, she's like, it's not enough time. It's not enough time. And, and it's really upsetting and it's awful. It's heartbreaking. And I'm torn because on the one hand, he could have just not told her. He could have just been like, hey, baby, I'm home, made out with her for five minutes, and then the time could have turned back. But he told her. He told her even though it was only going to make her upset, and then she was no longer going to remember it. So is it better that he told her or didn't? And on the one hand, I like that he told her so that she could sort of consent to it. She could say, I understand and accept it. She had a, she had a minute to accept it, like literally a minute to accept it. And that is what made this moment so heart wrenching. Like we had to have that for narrative purposes, but he could have done her the same courtesy that she did him when she had to stab him through the heart. He could have just said, close your eyes and made out with her for a second. And then time could have turned back. He could have done that. I don't know. What do you guys think? Which is the, which is the nicer way? Like telling her or not telling her. And also I, the thing that I find the shittiest is that she doesn't remember. But I also feel two ways about that. I'm torn with I'm consistently torn with all of the decisions that Angel made in this episode and the Buffy episode. I can see both sides of it. Um, just like I can see both sides of the Willow and Giles arguments. It's, it's weird because usually I'm pretty opinionated. Um, I feel like she should get to remember this day. You know, even though it would hurt, it would hurt so bad. You know, she would be like moping around for longer than she was moping about Parker and we don't have time for that. So I understand why they did that from a narrative standpoint, but realistically, if we had all the time in the world to deal with the fallout of Buffy's emotions and the reparations from that, wouldn't she ultimately be happy to have had that day? Like once the pain is over and you can look back on it as just that beautiful day. And it really was beautiful. The moments that they had together, like after however many times they did it on the buffering, the vampire slayer um, podcast, they were speculating as to how many orgasms were had between the two of them. And they decided that like Angel had like three, maybe, but Buffy had like 15 or something. So I, 
I truck with that. I can see that two ways, too. Like, on the one hand, I think Angel would be very eager to please her after all this time. But on the other hand, does Angel know how to do that? I mean, throughout his life, first he was a drunken lout, then he was an awful vampire. Like, did he ever really learn how to please a woman properly? I don't know. Maybe Darla made him do that. (laughs) But anyway, those moments of them like eating ice cream in bed together and that kind of thing is done, is overdone in movies and TV, but it felt really like it was easy intimacy. It felt very real between the two of them. Um, and it, it worked for me. It was sweet. It was fun. They were laughing together. You can tell like these two people, like I said to Michael, um, Sarah Michelle Geller and David Boreanaz, they're probably each other's backups, you know, just in case. I mean, they're both married and they've both been married to the same person for like a million years, the same other people for a million years. But I feel like there's just something between them. Anytime they talk about each other in interviews and stuff, you can tell they just really care about each other. They really love each other. And there's this like thing. I don't know how true it is, but if you really, really listen, you can kind of hear those last moments before the clock turns back when Buffy's like crying, crying, crying. There's this moment where um, David Boreanaz says, like he says, Sarah, he says her name. Um, it's inaudible enough that it's possible that it's, that he's not actually saying Sarah, but you know, the lore is that, you know, they were just so caught up in the emotions of this. Cause it had to be like kind of devastating for them. Cause that's like the last time they're really going to be that kind of together on screen, you know, and they really like each other and they've, been two characters in love for like three years now, you know, and you know, it's just a kind of a sweet little moment to have like him comforting her in that moment, especially because like I mentioned in season two in the, in innocence, the episode when, um, when he has to say all that horrible shit to her after they had sex, when he's become evil and, and it's just heartbreaking. Um, I've read interviews and stuff where he talked about how, how heartbreaking that was and how he made sure he had lots of conversations with her. Like, how are you doing? Um, like it was a lot of like taking care of her, having to have, you know, terrible, like sexist, awful, he didn't like saying all those hurtful things to her. So he was making sure he was taking care of her during that moment. And I thought that was just the sweetest thing ever. And I'm sure I talked to you guys about it at the time, but that just, I just think that's so sweet. And now every time I watch this episode, this is like one of, I mean, if we were going to have an angel vault where I'm putting things into, it'd be the opposite of my Buffy vault. My Buffy vault is for things that I don't ever want to see again. But if we had an angel vault that were just the handful of episodes that I think are actually important enough to rewatch, this would be like the, one of the first of those. I mean, there's been a couple of good angel episodes up to this point, but this is, 
this is a really good episode of Angel, I think. Um, and that's just the icing on the cake. If, if they were so caught up in the emotions of the moment that he accidentally said her real name, but it was kind of inaudible, so they left it in anyway. I like that, even if that's not how it worked. Even if that's not really what he's saying. I like it, and I'm gonna believe it. <laughs> it's cute. Um, I just wonder how much of Angel becoming, just like to totally change the subject, Angel becoming human, it seemed like there was a little bit of him feeling inferior, like he's lost his dignity and his masculinity. There was a little bit of like, he was acting a little bit like we will see Riley act whenever Riley loses whenever he has to get that operation and he's not as strong as he used to be and blah, blah, blah. There was a little bit of that. It's just like a little bit of just like, just like a hint of like toxic masculinity bullshit threaded throughout this episode. Um, okay, so that's the end of my notes. Um, okay, I didn't write down any like did it pass? Did this episode pass the Bechtel test? Yes, it did. There was a conversation. Something I wanted to mention too. There was a conversation between Buffy and Cordelia after Angel had become human again, and Cordelia's like, "What am I gonna do? Like, you get here and you fuck everything up, and now he's human again, and I've got to find another job, and I don't have any good skills." So Cordelia's talking about herself with Buffy. And I mean, they are kind of also talking about Angel, but it does essentially pass the Bechdel test because of that one conversation between Cordelia and Buffy. And something that I just, I know I've said this before, but Buffy just sort of has this, she's very dismissive towards Cordelia in this episode. And just in general, after everything they've been through together, don't you think Cordelia and Buffy would be friends? You know, they're so, Buffy is just so dismissive of her. Everybody is dismissive of Cordelia. They just have decided that she sucks. And I know that they have like, Buffy doesn't have that sort of history of growing up with her, but I know like in the case of Willow and Xander, they do, they have this history of like her being the bitchy popular girl since time immemorial, but I just don't see why there would be all this animosity. Uh, Buffy doesn't seem at all like jealous that Cordelia's working with Angel, which is nice that we don't get to see that kind of bullshit, but she's just so dismissive of her. I, I don't get that. It's just that if Buffy the show were redone today, which I think is happening, I don't know, last I heard it was happening, but surely if like all the characters were going to be the same characters surely if this that show was redone today that we would get to have a friendship between Cordelia and Buffy it makes no goddamn sense that they aren't friends it really doesn't especially because Buffy was so much like Cordelia in her former life the one before we met her you know she's mentioned several times that she was like Cordelia but Cordelia has evolved and they've been through a lot of shit together. You know, even with like Oz and Buffy, we got to have some moments of them bonding and like really respecting each other. And we just don't, 
like throughout the entire series of Buffy up to this point, we've had like two tiny conversations of Buffy and Cordelia, like meeting eye to eye in a moment, just in a flicker of a moment. It just like the only, I know I've said it a gazillion times. The only fucking friendship Buffy is allowed to have with another woman is Willow and that's it. And there's like a little bit of a moment of her having it with Tara later, but that's it. I just think it's dumb. Okay. So yes, it passes the Bechdel test. There were no new little blonde girls that Angel needed to save. Although do we count Buffy as a little blonde girl that he needs to save? Because he definitely felt like he needed to save her in this episode. So I think we do count that, which means our little blonde girls that Angel thinks he needs to save count is up to six. <laughs> five by five ratings. Um, treatment of women. There's definitely more misogyny and patriarchy in Angel as a show in general than there is in Buffy. So I would say treatment of women is like, I mean, it's not outright terrible. I'm going to give it a two. And then enjoyability of the episode. Like, I mean, enjoyable is like, I mean, it's heartbreaking. This episode is heartbreaking. Although, why? Why did it not have I Will Remember You? the Sarah McLachlan song. There really wasn't any music cues in this episode that really drove the point home. Like it could have been even more heartbreaking. You know what I'm saying? But, um, I think this is a really solid episode. I think it's, it's, it's good. I think it's good. And I didn't remember how good it was. And I was surprised that I was being taken on that emotional journey with Buffy and Angel. I was surprised that it was as heartbreaking as it was. So for that, let's see. I mean, do I want to, do I want to like give it, do I want to compare the goodness of an Angel episode against the goodness of a Buffy episode or just within Angel? I think I should do it within Angel. As far as like an Angel episode goes, this is, this is the best that it gets, you know, they're, so I'm going to give it a five. So just judging it against Angel episodes in general, I'm going to give it a five because it hits all the right points. It's good. So that means this episode gets a 10. <laughs> My point system is so ridiculous. Um, thanks for putting up with me guys. I am just like about to run out of voice and I've already ran out of water. So I am going to stop recording for tonight. This episode is like twice as long as last week's episode. Um, next week we'll be talking about the Buffy episode, something blue and the angel episode hero. I have no idea what that is. I remember what something blue is. Something blue is just like essentially a comedy episode. So Willow's going to accidentally do a spell on everybody and it's going to be funny. So I remember that as being just a delightful episode. So let's, let's get into it. <laughs>
next week. Let's get into it. Not right now. <laughs> right now, I'm going to go to bed. Um, thank you guys for listening so much. I hope you have a great week and I will see you next week. Bye.